Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, America, welcome to a special edition of John Solomon Reports. And when we have a special edition, that means we have a special guest, and that we do today. Joining me is Maura Moynihan, the daughter of the late, great New York Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who I had the great privilege to interview earlier in my career. And um, uh, Maura Moynihan is an extraordinary expert on Asia, and she has some very profound things to talk about as we deal with the uh, coronavirus and our relationships with China uh, after this pandemic. And so, Maura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It really is a pleasure. Now, it's an honor to have you on. And I know you are you have some very strong concerns, very strong views about uh, America and China's relationship and what's been going on in the Asian theater. And so I want to get right right down to business. Um, you, you've seen how America's reacted to the pandemic so far. What, what do you think is the lasting implication between uh, U.S. and China uh, as a result of what, what we've all experienced the last few weeks? Well, uh, first and foremost, there's no way to frame this as anything but an absolute catastrophe for the American people, for the world. But it seems America is being a very, very hard hit. And now New York City is the epicenter of what we call the CCP virus. The CCP means, for your listeners, the Chinese Communist Party. And we named it the CCP virus because a great many of our Chinese friends, brothers in arms, to take down the evil CCP, have also named it that. And when I see my fellow New Yorkers dying three deaths per minute, Already several friends of mine have been taken by the CCP virus to see New York City shuttered, locked, desolate, people frightened, losing jobs. Broadway is closed. All the museums are closed. All the great universities are closed. Well, it looks like Xi Jinping and the boys in Beijing certainly did a very good job of bringing America to its knees by covering up the virus, by torturing and murdering later through allowing him to get the virus, Dr. Li, the whistleblower from Wuhan, who alerted Beijing to the existence of this deadly pathogen in December. What did they do to Dr. Li? They tortured him. They forced him to write a self-confession. Only a communist country does this. And then he died. And had the world listened, had been in any other country, or certainly any other country in Asia, in Japan, India, Thailand, had a doctor come forward and alerted the government to a deadly pathogen, he would have been hailed as a hero and probably would be leading the rescue teams and recovery right. teams. 
In China, he's dead. So this exposes the lie that has been shoved down the American people's throat that Coca-Cola will engender democracy in communist China. Just wait. Well, that hasn't happened. And now we have more people dead than were killed in Vietnam. I don't know what the statistics are today. Maybe you can update me. Is it 40 million Americans have lost their jobs? Well, good yes. work for the U.S.-China Business Council, Kissinger Associates, the Clintons, the Obamas, the Bushes, all of them. Good work, pals. <laughs> you uh, you spare no words, and that's always fun. It's uh, it, it clearly is um, a moment where we're all going to take back, no matter where we are, even if we're people who are not particularly politically astute or connected, we're all going to step back and look at this and say, how did we get to this point? And I'd like to go back. I'm old enough to remember the time when China uh, did not have a permanent trade privileges. And every year or two, the House and Senate would have to give them most favored nation status uh, to continue to have the privilege of trading with America. And then in the mid-90s, we took that away and we welcomed as a permanent trade partner of the uh, United States. And ironically, that occurred right around the time that a big fundraising scandal uh, was, was going on where money flowed into the party. But was that a mistake? Did we miscalculate? I, I interviewed Newt Gingrich the other day and he said, I, I made a mistake. I thought China would uh, embrace um, American principles and become a democracy. And it didn't. Not, and he admitted he made a mistake. Do you think as we look back that that period in 1990s was a, a, a lost opportunity to manage our relationship? Absolutely. It was catastrophic that decision that was taken by President Clinton. And myself and five friends, fellow Tibet activists, I'm a lifelong free Tibet activist because I attended high school in India when my father served as the U.S. ambassador to India. And I met the Tibetan refugees. I learned of the genocide inflicted by the Chinese Communist Party on the Tibetan people. Then we had a very unusual opportunity. We went to Beijing, what was then called Peking, to, as the guest of George H.W. Bush, myself, my father, and my brother. And Mao was still alive, and the Communist uh, Party was um, was then embroiled in the Cultural Revolution. Right. And the difference in the societies between India and China, which is night and day, because India is a democracy. India had a free press, it had elections, it had places of worship, it had stores, theater, arts, it was a bu bustling middle class. China, there was none of those things. And while the China of today looks different, you will see Nike shoes for sale, you'll see Starbucks and McDonald's in every big city, but the Chinese Communist Party's one-party totalitarian dictatorship has not been dismantled. So back to your question about why President Clinton's decision in 1994 to remove the annual human rights review that the Communist Party was subjected to before trade deals could go through. With one stroke of the executive pen, Big Bill removed that. So we got arrested in front of the Chinese embassy in Washington. I can send you pictures of it later. I love it. And the cops were wonderful. There's a wonderful photo of the main arresting officer smiling at us, giving us the thumbs up. And as they handcuffed us and took us to jail, they said, we support your cause. And uh, the NBC Nightly News covered it, and the CBS covered it, and the Chinese ambassador was angry, and he sent a letter to my father, but it just didn't seem to be enough, now did it? At least we felt somebody had to say and do something, because had trade and human rights not been delinked by one stroke of the executive pen, maybe we'd have seen a different China emerge. 
But in 2000, on his way out, big Bill Clinton got Communist China into the World Trade Organization. And the rest, sadly, is history. And now we're at this terrible impasse where we, the United States tax dollars of American citizens have gone to build Communist China into a global hegemon, a military superpower that is trying to destroy the United States. It is shocking, isn't it? It is. And, and uh, one of the things that I learned early on, I, I, as I grew in Washington, particularly in the late 90s, and I, I, I covered the Asia fundraising scandal, the China money scandal, um, I had an opportunity to talk to some of the CIA analysts at that time. And one of the things they said is that what Americans didn't appreciate uh, are two things. One, the Chinese are extraordinarily patient. And they have a singular goal when it comes to America. They want to supplant uh, America as the number one economic superpower in the world. And uh, as we get closer and closer to that tipping point where China and its 1.3 billion population comes here, people don't realize here that this is really a global race to who's going to be the next economic superpower in the world. And, and China's right at our heels right now. Um, I, what do we do now? I mean, uh, first, first, let me ask you one question about the virus, because I, I, was, I was listening to your, your words. I want to ask, when, when you look at what China did, do you think, why, why do you think they uh, didn't act quick enough? Why did they allow people to still leave their country as in a virus was becoming mobile? What, what do you think their intention was when they did those things? Was it incompetence, uh, embarrassment, or was it something more sinister? I think it's a combination of incompetence, embarrassment, but First and foremost, the leaders in China, and this is what all of the those gangsters at the U.S.-China Business Council and Am Chang Shanghai has my favorite Twitter feed because they're such apologists for the regime in Beijing, which tortures children in concentration camps and has been doing so for 70 years that it's been in power. So anyway, I look at the way the virus was allowed to spread after Chinese New Year and I and I, I think the, that Xi Jinping and his cronies uh, definitely wanted to get the trade deal signed at the end of January in the White House. They they didn't right. mind if they if they if they risked the lives of millions of Americans, Europeans, and other Asians. And also, it just shows how the Communist Party is not suitable for the 21st century. And propping up a Marxist-Leninist regime that rules by the barrel of a gun is not a good model of governance. Because again, in an open society, Dr. Li of Wuhan would not have been tortured and forced to write a self-confession for alerting the authorities in Beijing of a, of a possible global pandemic. He would probably be giving be, being given awards right now. But in right. China, they have to torture him and let him die if he says anything negative about the regime. People seem to, here's what I hear all the time. People seem to forget that all you have to do is go on the website of the People's Republic of China and look at their constitution. In fact, I have a copy of it right here. I have an old copy right in my hand. I read it all the time. It wow. said it is a one-party dictatorship that rules through, through violence. It says it right there. And criticizing the regime can be very broadly defined for any number of crimes that will get you tortured and jailed and killed. That was the crime for which they arrested Dr. Li. That was the crime for which they arrested and eventually killed Liu Jiabo, the 2010 Nobel Peace Prize laureate, the author right. of Charter 08, 
who died in 2017. And it was barely a blip on the mainstream media screen. They didn't deem that very newsworthy. A few of us got together and had a vigil for him. But otherwise, you know, mainstream media, Rachel Maddow, all those people are too busy spewing hatred for the U.S. government. And so in a country where you can be killed for practicing your Buddhist faith, having a Quran, going to church, writing a poem, being found with a tiny little pendant of the Dalai Lama, I know... Tibetan nuns, Buddhist nuns who were raped with electric cattle prods because Chinese officials caught them with a tiny plastic image of the Dalai Lama hidden in their homes. Those are the lengths to which they will go. Find me another superpower that does that. And when I hear people like Rachel Maddow saying that Trump is is an evil satanic monster and Xi Jinping's got it all together, and when I see Bill Gates going on Fareed Zakaria's show in an absolutely disgraceful performance, where he says America handled the virus poorly and China did a lot of things right. I think we're seeing and we're going to see as the virus continues to spread and continue to take away those that we love, just which side the elites are really on. Are you on the side of the American people and the people of the world or are you on the side of the Chinese Communist Party? Because you better pick quick. Well, there's no doubt that that's going to be a debate that um, f- uh, rolls into our fall election. And, and President Trump clearly has a much more cautious view of China and and a much more America first view. Uh, President uh, Obama, his predecessor, President Clinton, President Bush, both President Bushes, and and uh, and now the Vice President uh, Joe Biden, who's likely to be the nom- Democratic nominee, they all share a much more. Um, uh, welcoming view of China, which is they're really not a threat to us and they're really trying to be democratic. Um, obviously, this issue is going to play into the fall election today. Um, uh, Vice President Biden named his search committee for a vice president, and he put on it uh, the former Democratic National Committee chairman, former senator, former colleague of your dad's, Christopher Dodd. Um, and I wonder, given his connections to the uh, China fundraising scandal back in the 90s, whether this will add to the portrait of Biden uh, as, as someone who's soft on China. Well, I mean, Senator Dodd is, is a, 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 was a friend of my father's, of course, in the Senate. They were both North, Northeast Democrats together. Right. He is he is an, a very charming, a very intelligent guy. And I've always liked him personally very, very much. But again, I think he was just sort of following the lead of the Clintons. Well, if they take Chinese money, isn't it okay for everybody to take Chinese money? I mean, that's something you hear all the time. Just before the virus closed New York City, I was at a gathering of wealthy liberals in New York, and they were all praising Michael Bloomberg and saying he's going to be the great hope. And I said, I just have a great difficulty with anybody who's so close to the Chinese Communist Party and has all their businesses there and is willing to censor his news organization for anything that might might upset the Chinese Communists. In fact, preventing journalists from doing their job, which you know, is to get the story. Sure. And, so, um, and they all looked at me and they rolled their eyes and they said, oh, come on, Maura, everybody has money in China. What's the big deal? And I replied, well, that means you're funding concentration camps, the torture of children, religious persecution, and a $1 billion forced organ harvesting industry, which takes live organs from living political prisoners. Are you okay with that? And they all kind of look at me with hatred. Not one of them says, gosh, you know, more, you got a point. And I feel very, very disappointed with the Democratic Party for normalizing the CCP. 
for normalizing putting your money into the CCP and, and taking money from the CCP. And it really does go back to the optics of Bill Clinton. And we tried at least to do something to show there was resistance to his right. decision when we got arrested in front of the Chinese embassy, but it sure wasn't enough. And I don't know what to say about, I read another story that David Brock, who used to be a Republican and he switched parties and he right. has the super PAC. He just took a big donation from the Chinese Communist Party. That was all over the place. I just sent it to Danny Wattenberg, your colleague, my very old dear friend. Yes, well, yes. Oh, you won't see Rachel Maddow reporting this on her show. No way. Now, you, you still consider yourself a Democrat and a liberal. Is that correct? Uh, yes, but I consider myself a Moynihan liberal, more of an FDR <laughs> liberal. I definitely do not jive with the woke identity politics of the Clintons. Not at all. Right. Yes. But in in, uh, in your heart of hearts, uh, the Democratic Party was the home you began and, and where you still are today. Are you concerned about the future of your party? And what does Joe Biden's nomination say about the state of the party? Well, that's an excellent question that a lot of us are, are asking who, who are Democrats. And as you know, my father was um, admired and, and, and rightfully so. For, for being able to reach across the aisle and yes. for, for being an embodiment of what bipartisanship is supposed to look like. And uh, he is the only person in American history to serve in four consecutive uh, presidential administrations, two Democrats and two Republicans. It is remarkable, isn't it? It's such an amazing record. Yeah, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, and Ford. Yeah. And of course, he worked with a great many Republican senators um, in the 24 years he served New York, and we were good friends with many of them. And I remain on, on very good terms with many uh, Republicans who supported Dad, because I think it's very important to listen to both sides and that we're not a communist country. And if you disagree with me, you're not going to be shot through the head. And that is something that this, uh, the DNC's enablers like Rachel Maddow seem to have forgotten, that you can call President Trump Satan and a monster and you won't get a bullet through your skull, which will happen to you in China pretty damn fast. Yeah. And so people call me up screaming hysterically of like, oh, we I, I have to remove Trump. We've got it. Uh, Biden is not the best candidate, but anybody but Trump. And he's a monstrous, evil killer. And I said, now, hold on a minute. This virus did not come from the White House. It came from China. And when you say that, you play right into communist China's hands. And aren't we all Americans? And isn't the president trying his best? And do you really want America to fail? And aren't you lucky to live in a country where you can say those things and you won't get shot? Well, this shuts people up. It makes some of them think, but it makes some of them unfriend me. And I don't know what to say about Biden's nomination because I, I was I was for Bernie. And right. I love Mr. Sanders. He was a populist. He represented to me the old, true beating heart of the Democratic Party, that old uh, FDR um, uh, kind of uh, populism. And Bernie, I, what touched me so much about Bernie's candidacy and the great success that he did have before the DNC screwed him both times, is that there's the son of a Holocaust survivor from Poland who grew up poor in Brooklyn, who was filling football stadiums in Alabama. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's, I would I would have been very excited to see the first Jewish president. See, last time when Hillary versus Bernie, said, we need a woman president. I said, I think it'd be great to have a first Jewish president and the son of a Holocaust survivor. And so, sure. and so I think that Biden is going to have a rough road ahead. And so is any candidate who has been so pro-China their whole careers. Temp check. 
What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I've done a lot of work on Hunter Biden, the son, of course. And, uh, uh, and it, you know, the fact that Hunter Biden flew in the vapor trail of his dad's jet while he was vice president, you know, picked up deals in Ukraine. But the other place he went to was Beijing. And in December of 2013, we know he went on the vice president's uh, Air Force Two plane and uh, arranged for uh, the head of his new of a new entity he'd created that was going to get investments from China to meet with his dad in the lobby of a Beijing hotel. And I wonder if you you know, you've talked about the importance that money plays in China, you know, trying to sow goodwill in America. Is the Hunter Biden uh, story, the Hunter Biden going to China, trying to set up, a, a you know, an investment fund on his dad's own trip and, and arranging a meeting with the head of that investment fund and some of the money's coming later. When China invests in America, it always has a strategic purpose, right? It isn't just because they're trying to make money. They often have multiple agendas. Is that right? Absolutely. Why would they bother? You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they would only they would only invest if they thought they could buy influence. It's the Mandarin word Guangxi, which means connections and influence. And in order to build Guangxi, you better grease the palm and grease the wheel. And this is a very ancient Chinese principle. And the communists are, uh, are very good at it. And I found that story of, of Hunter Biden going to Beijing and picking up, what, what was it, $1.5 billion? Well, that was the aspiration. I don't think they actually got that level of money. It looks like they may only got a few you know, tens of millions or a few millions. But there's no doubt that on the trip, he, uh, we now have uh, on the record proof that he set up the person who was going to run that entity that hoped to get a, a 1.5 billion. He, he introduced him to his dad, made the connection, which obviously must have sent big uh, shockwaves through the China community that Hunter was truly connected. Yes. Well, uh, but why was this allowed to happen in the first place? Great question. I have to tell you, in a million years, my father would never have allowed me or either of my brothers to accompany him on an official trip on an official American carrier and come back with a check. I mean, right. it, that's not uh, corruption and violation standards. Please find me another example. And I'm sure <laughs> a lot of my Democratic friends will hate me for saying this. But I mean, I, you know, you've got to be realistic what you, about dealing with the Chinese communists. They never give anything unless they're going to think they're going to get something back. Who allowed that to happen? And I'm getting lots of calls from people saying, now, now, Maura, don't be so tough on Hunter. It, was, it wasn't corrupt what he did. It may have been poor judgment. I said, oh, are you kidding? Taking money from the Chinese Communist Party and flying back on Air Force Two, I'm sorry. That's not going to play well with voters when we've got millions of people out of work, when three people a minute are, being, are dying in New York City which is sort of the capital of our country, culturally and economically in so many ways. And I don't know what the death toll is in Washington, Los Angeles, but I'm sure it's climbing. Yeah, it's growing. It's growing every day. Exactly. It's not going to look good. But no. no one put a gun to their heads, right? No one put a gun to Bill and Hillary's heads. When, and Hillary, when she was, I have to share this with your listeners. This is very important history. Uh, the Tibet movement is very small. 
we never had very many supporters. And there's nothing in it but honor. There certainly is no money at all supporting His Holiness the Dalai Lama. But right. it was only resistance to the Communist Party of China. And why is why do they hate him so much? Why did they try to assassinate him? Why did they shut us Tibet people down? By the way, I can't get a job in a single humanitarian or refugee or human rights organization in America. They have all said to me, with no shame, the Ivy League ed educated directors of all of these fancy NGOs, we can't work with you, Miss Moynihan. You're a Tibetan person, and our board members have interests in China. Now, if there's a bank telling me that, I'd understand. But when uh, the top human rights organizations in America tell you that, you go, wow, Chinese money has greased the wheel. And they've kicked all of us Tibet people out because the Dalai Lama managed to escape 61 years ago. They tried to assassinate him. It's the greatest escape story of the 20th century. Sometime I'll, I'll do a podcast just on that for your uh, I would love that. I had the pleasure to meet him once, and it, it, it is quite an experience. And uh, I, I also had the pleasure of uh, working for about 18 years uh, up right above his favorite restaurant in Washington, D.C., the old Mr. K's restaurant. And he would he would go there when he visited Washington, and uh, there were many pictures of him. Very 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 fond memories of that time. Good. Yes, he's not traveling so much anymore because he's oh. denied security. So I must finish telling this story. I'm sorry Please. I got off track. Um, in 2009, after President Obama was sworn in and his cabinet was sworn in, and that, as we know, always takes place in the last week of January, the inauguration. And my parents always had an inaugural day parade and. Danny Wattenberg and his family would often come over the years. So uh, Hillary Clinton's first official statement to the press was, we will not allow things like Tibet and human rights to interfere with our close relationship with communist China. Wow. And I nearly fell off my chair. And a friend of mine from the State Department who'd worked for many, many years um, on human rights in China called me up and said, I can't believe it. She just threw all the work we've worked so hard on for 30 years under the bus. <laughs> and then in September of that year, I was in Dharamshala, the exiled home of His Holiness Dalai Lama, which is a former British Hill station in northern India. I was working for Radio Free Asia, which Tibet service, which I did for many, many years. Of course. Doing a special series of reports on the crackdown in Tibet after the Beijing Olympics. And then Obama announced that he was not going to receive the Dalai Lama in the White House because the Chinese asked him not to. And he wants their cooperation on the economic crisis and the environmental crisis. And we were all in shock. And we were all so terribly upset. And we went to the local bar where all the Tibetans and their friends used to gather. And we said, yep, the president of the United States just won the Nobel Peace Prize and dissed the Dalai Lama. Pass the vodka. <laughs> oh, that's a, speaking as an Irishman, that's a good that's a good solution to a bad day. <laughs> How awful, though. I mean, people forget these moments in history, but your your um, your your recall of them is extraordinary. You look at your party and um, and and the changes that the Clinton Obama era made on on such core issues that were the identity of the party for so long. Human rights being one of them. Um, what happens to the energized part of the base? You know, the folks like you or Bernie San Sanders supporters who um, really cherish the values of the party. Does the Biden candidacy sort of flatten out that enthusiasm uh, because of the very issues we've been talking about? Well, what wasn't it Stanley Baldwin, the Victorian a parliamentarian, who said a week is a long time in politics? <laughs> That's very true. Uh, that was one of my father's favorite quotes, <laughs> which he often uh, uttered on, on the Senate floor. 
And uh, in two months, March and April, the CCP virus has caused more economic devastation and more carnage than the Vietnam War did, than the Iraq, well, not quite, yeah, the Iraq and Afghan wars cost a tremendous amount of money to this country, and I thought they were foolish and terrible and failures, and I was against them. You were. Absolutely, I was absolutely against the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan because I thought there was a flimsy pretense, and they were failures. And again, I'd like to just circle back to, you know, how the mainstream media is colluding with the Chinese Communist Party. Well, the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, lots of them take two-page color ads every week from China Daily, the propaganda wing of the Chinese Communist Party, which was responsible for the murder of 80 million of its own people. And this is the regime that they're taking ad money from? I don't recall during the Cold War that TASS ever was granted so many privileges when the Soviet Union was supposed to be our great adversary and our great enemy. Well, the Soviet Union was never integrated into the world economy. And that is one reason Mikhail Gorbachev, one of my greatest heroes and one of my father's greatest heroes, allowed the peaceful dissolution of the Soviet Union which meant there would be no thermonuclear war between America and right. Russia. And my father said that this is the deliverance of humanity. We should be having a world parade. But instead, the corporate class just lined up behind the CCP and didn't ask them to dismantle the communist system. So why did we fight the Cold War? You know, when Russia was, was communist, we wanted to bomb them with nuclear weapons. China remains communist, and this was another Clinton program. We did nuclear exchanges with them. Oh, here's another thing I'd like to point out. I'd like your viewers, I'm sure me- almost everyone saw or heard of the disgraceful interview that Bill Gates gave to Fareed Zakaria on Sunday on CNN, where he praised China and dissed America. It is yes, trending yes. on Twitter, though they're trying to quit it down. Well, you know, uh, Bill Gates was... Uh, um, elected to the Chinese uh, Technology uh, and Engineering uh, Council and the Institute of Technology Advancement to expand China's nuclear capacity. That was in 2017. Did you see the New York Times write about that as maybe a security risk? One of the richest men in the world is co- and, oh, Tim Cook also has been elected to Shanghai University, and he he loves Chinese slave labor. And he was given the RFK Human Rights Award in 2015. And a lot of us complained, and we said, how can you give this man a Human Rights Award when he's responsible for the deaths and and, and, and like, like maiming of a great many poor Chinese workers who create our Apple iPhones and our laptops and our products in those factories in Shenzhen. And when they get their hands cut off or they make a mistake, they get chucked out to die in the gutter. It's like the 19th century. It's like the Industrial Revolution to to the 100th power. But, oh, the mainstream media always gives him the easy pass. We worship these men because they're billionaires. I suppose that's all it takes to get an exemption from morality. What do you think? Uh, well, what you know, what you 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 belong to a party that still holds true you know, all these values, at least in state, right? They they believe in human rights, they believe in democracy. What's it going to take to shock the Democratic Party, or or even greater, shock our country into uh, a different posture on China? Do you think we've reached that moment? Is this the tipping point? You know, that's an excellent question that you've just asked. Because I, w- I was doing an interview with some friends in Thailand um, for an, an English uh, radio station there a couple of days ago. And they were asking that same thing. What's wrong with American elites? And China has right. damned the Mekong. 
and this is causing famine and this is causing drought and this is something we Tibet people screamed about for years because all those rivers come from Tibet. It's like what more evidence do we need to present to people that China is not a good ally? No, it's not a good idea to put your money in China. No, they can't be trusted. And as long as the Democratic Party, when they say, as you said, when they claim that they care so much about human rights and they castigate the Republicans for being so soft on human rights or being monstrous and, and corrupt and blah, blah, blah. Well I, well, I look at the Democrats' record and I see it's very spotty because their concern about human rights is selective. They go after these tiny little countries in Africa and beat them up for, you know, oh, some violation here. Like, I remember going to some function that Democrats were going after the Maldives. Oh, they put someone in jail in the Maldives. Well, gee whiz, you know, uh, no one's ever, no one ever goes to the Maldives. It's just a tourist resort in the Indian Ocean. But China can't criticize. No, 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 not allowed. The largest country in the world that has 1.4 billion people, no free press and no elections, that's ruled by a group of old men, it used to be nine, Xi Jinping shaped it down to six or seven. Right, right. Who rule with an iron fist under that sickle and hammer of the old Soviet Union and have and won't permit any freedom of speech. Oh, these are our good trusted global partners. The Democrat Party has to wake up it has to realize its hands are covered in blood if it continues to defend and protect the evil Chinese Communist Party. They should align with Republicans. I would like, I was very glad last fall when at least the Republicans and Democrats in the Senate and House came together to pass the Hong Kong Democracy Act. But passing an act isn't the same as taking action. Like de, you know, deinvesting from China, decoupling from China. When right. are Michael Bloomberg and when are the Clintons and Madeleine Albright, who was Clinton's Secretary of State, she just was a signatory to a letter the Asia Society of New York released ago that I found morally repugnant. There are Democrats and Republicans both on this, but mostly Democrats. I urge your listeners to look it up. It's an open letter saying China and America must cooperate. Well, it was just parroting the same narrative as Bill Gates, which is America has to examine its own shortcomings, and China did lots of things right. And besides, China controls our medical supply. Why do they control our medical supply? Because Bill Clinton got them at the WTO. And this is another looming catastrophe that's coming up on the horizon. We only have two months left of medicines before they run out. Do you think China's going to send any to us? Not likely. So the Democrats have to really re-examine. And they should apologize. They should apologize. I think Bill Clinton tried last year. He's, you know, he walked it back a little, like he walked back the Lewinsky thing, like, gee whiz, maybe I should have been a little tougher on China. I'm sorry, it's too late. A week yeah, is a no. long time in politics. And saying you're sorry now, years later, is just not good enough. How much money do you have in China? How much money did the Clinton Foundation take from China? And also when Chris Dodd, you know, was um, had the job Jack Valenti used to have, represented the... Um, MPA, right? Well, we saw Chinese um, communists buy up Hollywood studios. Remember that? Yeah. We've seen a lot of censorship of Hollywood, that Hollywood just goes along with willingly. Brad Pitt starred in Seven Years in Tibet in the 90s. So he, his movies got blackballed. Well, he walked that back real fast, and he went down on his knees and said, gee whiz, sorry about that, and sorry I was in that movie, so his movies could get released in China. It's wow. a, Hollywood is working hand-in-hand hand with the CCP. Yeah. Wake up, everybody. Wake up. Big marketplace for them. It's absolutely true. The... Um, 
let me ask, I want to ask you one last question because I think this is actually two last questions. I want to actually ask you about a, an event that's about to happen. There is a federal investment board that controls the pension funds, the 401k funds of federal and military retirees. So the men and women who have served in our uniforms and in wars and, and then our federal employees. And it's about to make a major change, a, a land shift change in where it invests its money. And it's going to go into an international index where uh, they will now be allowed to invest in Chinese-owned, uh, government-owned companies, including military contractors that compete against us for the, the most next lethal weapons. Um, President Trump hasn't tried to stop that. There are some senators like Rubio and uh, Shaheen who are trying to, but so far this looks like it's going to be completed in the next few days and, and our federal workers, our military retirees are going to see their money invested in China. What do you think about that and what should President Trump, what should Congress do about it? Well, I'm so glad you asked this question because I have followed this story for a very, very long time. This was approved three years ago. And again, yeah, 2017. Yeah, it went under the radar. And I'm a member of the committee of the present danger China. And I urge all your listeners to go on the website of the committee of the present danger China and look at the work that Frank Gaffney and Brian Kennedy and Sam Faddis and Roger Robinson are doing on this. And you can follow all these gentlemen on Twitter as well. And they, there's a letter that we all co-signed that uh, 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 some very distinguished retired five-star generals also just signed it on Monday. And they're trying to get it on the president's desk this week to stop this. If Bill Clinton can can use his executive pen to make life easy for the Chi-Coms, to make it easier for them to torture children in concentration camps and to hack all of our uh, government employees data, which the Chinese did about five, six years ago. Another story that was a one day story in the New York Times. They covered that one up real fast. Well, I, this is very, very, very frightening because if this does go through, that means China will really have won. I was, I, I, I had sleepless nights worrying about this. And I have sent the, uh, the Times also deemed this only worthy of a one day story buried in the B section yeah. in November. And the Washington Post did have a story about it this week, but it's been covered widely in, in other news media. But if you read what the, what this means, it's not just Chinese companies. It's Chinese oh. military companies. That's One of the, the key thing. It's called Hike Vision. Hike Vision right. makes surveillance cameras for concentration camps. Yeah. They're already in use in Uyghurs, the concentration yeah. camps in Tibet and Xinjiang. Do you really think our retired servicemen want that to happen? I don't think so. It's, it is remarkable. And uh, AVIC, you know, the big aviation, uh, military aviation corporation of China, uh, they're all potential uh, investment points, infusion points where Americans who work for our federal government, our military, their, their retirement money now may end up. And that it is an extraordinary story. We wrote about it. I wrote about it. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about it, but it, it's, um, it hasn't moved the needle. All right, last question, because I think that we we face another epic election in November. Where does someone with your your strong views, your your uh, great uh, connection to liberalism, and also the pragmatism of the Moynihan family, where do you go in this election when you when you have Donald Trump and and Joe Biden? Uh, is there a place that uh, a home for you in the election? Uh, given the choice that we face and given the choice that we need to make on China? Well, I, I right now what I'm very frightened of is China's meddling in our elections, which they've done before. And uh, I think they're going, it's not just about the White House. It's, of course, the Senate and the House and local. I mean, they, there's 
Another point that you made earlier in the show, which your listeners must remember, is China is very patient. The communists playing the, the long game. They, uh, when I worked for Radio Free Asia in the year 2000, a white paper was leaked out of Beijing that said, we're going to destroy America and vanquish America from within. We're not going to use traditional kinetic warfare. We don't have to, because they've already welcomed us in. We just got into WTO, thanks to Bill Clinton. So we're going to use economic sabotage, which they've been doing, theft right. of intellectual property, buying off elites, which they've done, which they're doing in broad daylight. You don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to see that. No, it's happened. Yeah, it's documented in our. We just had a Harvard professor arrested. Hell yeah! Just go go to the or U.S. China Business Council website and sign up for their daily email in your inbox. It is shocking. These are Americans who are doing PR and the dirty work for this evil CCP. Yeah. So I think if this election is about much much more than the White House, and this is something so many Americans seem to forget, and something that upset my father very much in non-presidential years. Voter turnout for Senate races and House races and was would always sink down to the low 30s. It only right. kind of gets up to the upper 40s when it's a presidential every four years. But these other races are very important. So are your local races. The CCP has infiltrated our political system from the bottom up. Do you remember there were several scandals in recent years of New York City councilmen? There was there was one called John Liu. L-I-U, who has who was working for the CCP, who got elected to the New York City, New York City Council. And then in, in San Francisco, there were several Chai Coms, Chinese citizens or naturalized Americans. But a couple of digs from an investigative reporter found out they were taking money from the Chinese consulate. Hand mm. over fist. So it's not just about the White House people, it's about all the down ticket races. One question you should ask every single one of your candidates that you care about, a locally as well, what is your position on communist China? Should we decouple? Should we hold them responsible for the virus? Should we sue them? Should we seize their assets in America? What about the Xinhua Tower in Times Square and Xinhua headquarters in Washington? Those are worth billions of dollars. Should we take them? Should we yeah. rethink our close relationship with communist China? Then you'll find yeah. out real fast which side they're on. Well, you can see in the American polling, we did a poll this week with Scott Rasmussen, just a news poll, and uh, more than 60% of Americans say it's time to decouple and reduce our trade reliance and our uh, supply reliance on, on Beijing. And so uh, it's clearly uh, the American public is paying more, more attention. You, you suggested that the, Dem, uh, that the Chinese are going to meddle in this election. Do you think they have a preferred candidate right now at the White House level? Well, obviously... And I mean, I find this painful to have to say, because, again, Joe Biden is a very affable and gracious gentleman. I've known him for a very long time. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't I, I don't want to uh, uh, think, think, think ill of him. Mm -hmm. But questions have to be asked. Why do you defend communist China? Why do you say they're not our enemies? They're our friends. Oh, come on. Well, look at your voting record. Can you revise it? Or if, and if you don't, then I'm sorry, a lot of people are just not going to come out and vote for Democrats. Because I think the average man on the street knows full well that China is a malign actor and is a threat to the world and certainly a threat to the American people. Now they've made it plain. In fact, we were joking, a group of us Tibet activists got, got together for drinks before New York um, shut down and said, gee whiz. 
with this virus, China has done more in, in like two months than we've done in 50 years of getting people to realize how dangerous they are and how they lie and how they cover up. And I think that um, the, the, you know, uh, Joe Biden is going to have to uh, prepare to be asked these tough questions. Now, he won't be asked these tough questions by mainstream media on the left liberal side, which I hate calling it the left media. It's not. I just state the Democrat, the corporate media controlled by the Democrats. And then there's corporate media that's controlled more by Republicans. And then sure. it seems like there's not the only real reporting we're getting is the kind of stuff you're doing and sort of in the middle. Uh, then again, any newspaper like the New York Times and the Washington Post, which consider themselves so left and so woke, they print color page ads from the Chinese Communist Party, a, a, a genocidal dictatorship that has millions of people in concentration camps, just like the Nazis, and tortures people in a way that would make the Nazis proud. They should be asked too. I would also ask your listeners to call out mainstream media because these people have tremendous influence and power in our society. And one reason NBC gets away with it, and Rachel Maddow is encouraged to say the most, most disgracefully unpatriotic things about President Trump's administration, which uh, at a time of incredible national crisis. Well, NBC inked a lot of deals with the Chi-Coms for their sports broadcasting. And the Chinese ambassador, who's a very vicious Chi-Com, he comes to New York and he goes to 30 Rock and he gets wined and dined and he gets to see the studios and they all love him so much. And there's a big love fest going on. Well, I'd like to ask these people, do they think it is immoral and dangerous to do business with a regime that has children in concentration camps? Because usually that people won't answer. And you know pretty fast if someone won't answer that question, which side they're on. I think it's pretty simple. Why don't we just ask that question? Do you think it's immoral to work with a regime that tortures people in a way that would make a Nazi proud? If they don't answer immediately, yes, I think it's immoral, then you know they are on the Chi-Com payroll, pal. Wow. Wow. Well, uh, Maura, it has been an absolute uh, treat and honor to talk to you today. I, I, You and I were sharing off air some of the great memories I had of your dad. And um, one of those memories is the ability for him to rise above party and to serve his country regardless of what his party wanted. In an era when everybody takes party talking points and sticks to them, you you are refreshingly just like your dad. You you uh, you speak your mind and you speak your values. And I know my listeners are going to enjoy this podcast very, very much. Yes. I just wanted to say, you know, I don't think I, I had some very bitter arguments with Democratic friends last week who were calling me and saying, you know, Trump is a monster and he started this pandemic. And I said, every time you say that, you're playing into the hands of communist China. And aren't we all Americans? And President Trump is subject to checks and balances. He is. I was very insult. I found it very uh, shocking to see that reporter from CNN always playing gotcha in the press pen as three New Yorkers die per minute, and the president said something that I think all Americans, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever your party, it's important to say when you insult me, you insult the Army Corps of Engineers, you insult all of our doctors and our medical staff, all our hardworking. Right and first responders. We don't live in a communist country. And let's not forget, I think my father would absolutely feel the same way. And I called some of his old friends and I said, don't you think dad would say it is, it is disgraceful not to try to support the president at a time like this? And I, I'll be excommunicated by a great many liberals for saying this. <laughs> I think we, I... Should put, um, we should be Americans first. In this time of crisis, you can vote whichever way you want. 
in November. We have a we have a private ballot. You 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 know we can we have Australian ballot here. Go ahead and vote for anyone you want. We're allowed to do that. In China, there's right. no such thing as voting. And never forget that. And I, this could get much worse, by the way. I, I I'm I'm frightened that there's going to be more death, more economic carnage for the next few months. And um, this is not a time to play gotcha. It's a time to come together as Americans. I would like to see more bipartisanship instead of this gotcha stuff on the Hill, uh, because American people deserve better. Don't you agree? We all agree to that. And uh, and you see it in the polling and we see it in our, our own family conversations. We kind of wonder where our government went astray. And I think you've done a good job of identifying some very important moments in that string going back to the 90s when we when we changed our relationships with communist China. So, Maura, I can't thank you enough. We're going to have you back on the show again, uh, because I think our listeners will love to learn more and more from you. But um, again, thanks for your thoughts. And folks, this wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a special edition. And now I think you know why we did a special edition today. I hope you enjoyed it and you have a good weekend and we'll be back with you next week. 